lights are on. Good. Now, if you were here on Friday night at our vision night, I gave everybody a little bit of a challenge. Are you waving at me, Dan? You were here on Friday night. Was anyone else here on Friday night? On Friday night, I uh, read out from the passage of Scripture that I want to preach uh, to you from this morning. And I gave everyone a sort of little bit of a challenge in the hope that they might, you know, go home and read the passage again themselves a little bit to guess what my title was going to be this morning. And if anyone guessed the title, I said I would bring a prize, you know. So here we go. If you want to take part in that little promotion this morning, by the way, just like they say on cornflakes, if you are in my family or in my, you are in my team in any way, you can't take part, okay? <laughs> Sorry and all that. But if you are not and you would like to take part, tell your neighbor now what you think my talk is going to be called this morning so that you can't cheat later, you know. It's a little bit of a sort of a... Come on, James, tell your neighbor or someone near you what you think I'm going to speak on this morning. Have a go. I've I've kept it hidden in here so no one could sneak under my seat and make an intelligent cheat. Okay, you've all had a little think about that. I'm going to read the passage now, and so I'm going to give you that weren't there on Friday night a little bit of mercy. So you might want to um, at least kind of have a think, even if you can't be part of the competition. Let's turn to the passage. I'm going to read to you from the book of Kings, 2 Kings, chapter 3. And tonight, today, it was tonight on Friday, I'm just going to read from verse 6 to 20. So you can follow through with me. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. By the way, there's a little message there. If you want to conquer, get in a team. They were, they were better when there were three of them going up against Moab than if just one of them had. So in our church, our teams are our cells. If you want to conquer, be in a cell and be part of a team, and you will conquer more than you would do on your own. There is strength in a team. So he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. There's another little pause button there. If you want to be raised up in ministry, serve somebody in ministry. Elisha was raised up through serving and getting alongside Elijah. That is a really key principle. So if you want to be raised up in ministry, serve someone in ministry. 
And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. There's another little clue in there. If you want to hear God, get into his presence. And if you worship, helps us to get into the presence of God. So if you're thinking, I'm not hearing God very much, get into his presence and get into some worship and you will put yourself in the best place to hear the Lord. And Elisha said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now, there's another little clue there. If you want to keep the ground that you win, you've got to have a strategy for keeping it. They had to kind of stop it up so that the, um, the guys they were defeating couldn't come back and take it again. So have a strategy if you want to keep the ground that you win. Verse 20, now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered. If you want to see God move, make an offering. It releases something in spiritual places when you make an offering. And it, right here, when the offering and the sacrifice was made, God turned up. Suddenly, water came by way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Amen. It's a tremendous story. Now, before we start to try and imagine what's happening here, who would like to tell me my title this morning? Spread the word. Can you take that? Send the rain. Oh, I'm going to keep the prize. It's easy for God. Suddenly. These are all good titles. I should have, con- should have consulted with you all. Shall I tell you what I've called it? Where's Dave Shearer with the prize? Bring me a prize. What did you think I should call it? What you called it. Oh, he knows. How do you know? Did Clive tell you? I haven't done any slides, so we can't have seen the slides. Bad luck. No slides. Okay, well, you could have called it, I could have called it all those things, but this morning I get to keep the chocolate. <laughs> because of what I've called it is Dig for Victory. Actually, I think Dave Shearer should have the chocolate. Because he kind of, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> he gets the chocolate because um, he had a clue that I was going to call it something like that. Dig for victory is what I want to speak to you about this morning. So let's try and imagine what's happening here in this passage. So these three kings, the king of Israel, Judah, and Edom, have joined together to attack the king of Moab. 
because the king of Moab has decided he's not going to send his regular gift to the king of Israel anymore because the kingship has changed and he used to send them so many thousand sheep every year and so many thousand pelts of wool and he's decided to put his foot down and stop sending this gift and so the king of Israel is a bit miffed with the king of Moab and so he gathers together these two other kings and they decide to go and sort out the king of Moab so far so good so off they go by way of the wilderness of Edom And it tells us in the passage, they marched on that roundabout route for seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. You understand, you don't just take men into battle. You have to take horses with you, and you have to take cattle with you, because they have to pull the equipment. And actually, you eat the cattle as well on the way, and things like that. So there's a whole army and a whole load of animals that need food and water and supplies to keep them going and enable them to fight. And the distance that they covered, uh, if you look it up in the Bible, was about a hundred miles. And that's that's really encouraging. The Bible's accurate. It take, you can travel about 15 miles a day when you're marching like that with an army, with all the equipment and everything. So uh, it's right when it tells us that they went about a hundred miles in seven days. And it wasn't seven easy days. It was seven days through a wilderness territory. And when they got to the border with Moab, where they're going to have this big sort of sort-you-out punch-up, they would have expected to find water in this valley. It was like a wadi and, uh, that divided Moab and Edom. But when they got there, it was dry. There was nothing there. So they're in this hot dusty environment with all these soldiers, all these horses, all these cattle to supply with water, and the, the brook is totally dried up. Have you, have you ever been anywhere where you expected to find something when you arrived and it wasn't there? Have you, have you ever had that uh, experience? We were in the States over Christmas visiting Richard and our son and his wife Manuela, And during the time we were there, the whole wider family, Castellanos family, decided to go on this little three-day break to Disney. They live in Florida, so they have, like, yearly passes. So it's a bit like we would have a pass to Beamish, I suppose, and they can sort of go whenever they like. So off, it doesn't sound quite so appealing, Beamish, does it, as Disney. But anyway, they have these passes so they can sort of... go off to Orlando whenever they want and have a few days in Disney, and they decided to do this. All they have to do is rent somewhere to stay, and it's more economical to rent a house than it is to rent a hotel. So they rented this villa, and uh, for various reasons, that they all went to Disney for the day, and we were trying to sort out our flights to go and recertify in life languages, so we couldn't uh, leave when they did. So we left after them, but we ended up getting there before them. It was a really hard house to find. It was a modern, really new development. So the sat-nav, it was just a field, you know. We couldn't, it took us about half an hour to even find this house. And when we found it, we had to push in like a a code to get into the house. You're going to think that the code didn't work, aren't you? But it did. And we got into the house and it was a beautiful house. I mean, it was really lovely, wasn't it? It was really beautifully equipped. There was a pool, there was a... um, like a cinema room in the house. I mean, it was a really lovely house. So we made ourselves at home, you know, and all this lovely furniture and everything. And all the bedrooms were beautiful and so on. Well, the next people to arrive were um, Manuela's sister, Johanna, her husband, Ellie, and their three children. 
but they made a mistake and they went to the next door house to where we were. So they pull up at the next door house and uh, they go and put the code in the door and now you're going to think the code didn't work, aren't you? But it did. <laughs> so they open the door to their beautiful holiday villa and it is totally empty. <laughs> Like concrete floors, no curtains, no furniture, no kitchen, nothing in the house at all. So they thought they'd come on some internet scam, you know, and uh, <laughs> what they expected was not there when they arrived. And fortunately, we saw them um, before they kind of called the police and... Uh, <laughs> All was put right. But these guys have appeared at this place having marched 100 miles over seven days and there is no water. What's the thirstiest you've ever been? Have a think now. What's the thirstiest you've ever been? Mm, Antonia. Just, you know. After a football match in Dubai. Football match in Dubai. Anyone else? Anything more exotic than that? <laughs> John. Uh, the Edinburgh Marathon in a heat wave. The Edinburgh Marathon in a heat wave. Walking along the Great Wall of China in the middle of the summer. Wow. They're all... Did you hear the thing they all had in common? They were all hot. Dubai... Edinburgh in a heat wave, the Great Wall of... Well, Edinburgh does have heat waves sometimes. <laughs> Maybe not quite as hot as Dubai, but I was trying to make it sound sort of okay. <laughs> China. I think for us, um, I was recalling, we went to Israel a few years ago, and it, we went to Masada, which is like a big um, encampment on top of a hill. It was really hot. It was like 43 degrees on top of this mountain. And... Uh, Oh, I was so thirsty. And when we came down off the mountain, the next place we went to um, was this place called Engedi. And Engedi is where um, there's a little stream in the mountain. So all around you are these red clay sort of mountains and hills and dry, arid land. And then right in the cleft of this little mountain, there's a little ribbon of green where this stream runs. It's, it, they think it's where David wrote the psalm, you know, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And there is this water there, and you kind of climb up this hill, and suddenly there's this little waterfall coming down over the edge. And half the people in our party were so thirsty by then and so hot, they just jumped in fully clothed and uh, <laughs> made the most of it. I was a bit more restrained, but it was lovely to come across this water. But these guys are expecting to find something like that, so they're expecting to find a source of water for their army, and there is nothing there. Now, if a soldier goes on the march uh, as part of an army, they need 3,500 calories a day to sustain themselves, and they need 9 litres of water. So more than you would normally need. Clive, can I have that jug? Excuse my assistant. <laughs> He's going to make me disappear if you keep hoping. 
This is half a liter in here. Half a liter. So they had to drink nine times that. Is that right? Thank you. I knew I'd go wrong somewhere if I stopped looking at the nose. <laughs> they had to drink... Let's do that again. They had to drink 18 times this jug of water to survive in that kind of situation. That is a lot of water you each need. They didn't just need a little bottle to keep them going or a thermos flask. They needed to have 18 of these. John, get going. I nearly picked on Steve, but you look more... You might manage it. Yeah, yeah, get drinking. You've got to do it nine times, shall I? <laughs> oh, blow! 18! <laughs> You've got to do it nine times and then do it nine times again. <laughs> That's a lot to do that, though, isn't it? You know, more than one of those every hour throughout the day. So I've done a little calculation for you here. It doesn't tell us how many men there were in this army. So uh, the nearest I could come to um, in my research was for 65,000 soldiers, which would probably be about right. And 65,000 men would need one, I'm going to get this right, 165,000 litres of water a day plus water for the animals. That's a lot, isn't it? Do you want to know how much that looks like? Dave, have you got a tape measure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A long one. Someone help Dave here. Go up that end and start, and someone take the other end. Thank you, John. You can keep. You might be able to go all the. I don't know if you can get all the way down there. <laughs> what have you got to? Keep going. Well, how many? I might have to tell him to come back and that will be embarrassing. <laughs> 26 meters. You can come back a little bit. Come back to 20. You're on, you're on 20. John is the anointed seat. Okay. See that length there? Now imagine we could put it out that way, which we clearly can't because the wall is in the way, but imagine we could go that way as well. And then imagine we could dig a hole in the floor at least two meters, that's the, over the height of a person or about the height of a tall guy. You would need a pool that big full of water every single day to sustain that number of soldiers without even adding on the animals. And maybe there were more soldiers, I don't know because it doesn't tell us. That's a lot, isn't it? all that distance and then the same again in the other direction it's like a sort of swimming pool really and that's how much water they needed thank you you can without distracting everyone now put that back and there's nothing there is nothing listen <laughs> i'm gonna wait This is a disaster. 
And I don't mean my visual aids. <laughs> For these guys, it's a disaster. What are they going to do? They're either going to go into battle with totally dehydrated and exhausted and wiped out, or they're going to turn around and go back and give up. But one of the servants knows that Elijah, Elijah is nearby. Now, actually, it's Elisha, isn't it? Sorry. That Elisha is nearby and suggests that they go to him for help. Do you notice often in the scripture, it's the servants that seem to know where the prophets are? <laughs> you know, when Naaman gets healed, it's the servant girl that tips him off. And here it's the servant that seems to know where, where Elisha is going to be. And so she, uh, they suggest that they go for help. So off go the three kings to ask Elisha for some help. He gets some worship going, and then he gives them this prophecy. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. And he will also, by the by, deliver the Moabites into your hand. So from certain defeat, now they've got a strategy for victory. God is going to help them. What was impossible for them to do, God is able to do. Say to the person next to you, God is able. And not only is he able, it tells us it's a simple thing for him to do. This is an easy one for him to do. He's not bothered about this at all. It's easy for him. Hooray! But... There's always a but. That's what my, my mother used to say to me. I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, I still find myself saying it. There is always a but. There is a condition here. Do you know, in the Bible, there's often a condition. When you read your Bible, there is often a condition. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What a great promise is that? The promise of not perishing, of eternal life, of being made right with God again, and God loving you so much that he sent his only son to put right what we messed up. That's a fantastic scripture, but there's a condition in there. What's the condition, Ben? Whoever believes, you've got to believe. Grace is the most wonderful thing going, but it's not cheap. You understand? It's not simple. It's not sort of um, a giveaway. There are often conditions. God is limitless. And God doesn't limit you. God is not limiting your life. He's not limiting your family. He's not limiting your ministry. We limit ourselves by not meeting the conditions. You, you're going to have to say amen because it's gone quiet. But it's true. There are conditions that we uh, limit ourselves by not meeting. And there is a condition here for God to turn up and do this simple, easy-peasy thing and give them all that great swimming pool of water every day that they're going to need. And the condition is they've got to make the valley full of ditches. 
they've got to dig for this victory. Now, if you're reading this, by the way, in, your, in a New Living Translation or the NIV, it actually misses that verse out. So I was a bit puzzled by that because I read it one day and then it vanished. And I, I was a bit suspicious. But fortunately, Clive was at hand and so was Richard. So it was easy for me because they kind of got out their little Hebrew Bible. And it's in there. I promise you, in the original, it says, dig the valley full of ditches. It says it in the message even. I don't know what the NIV was thinking of. The message says, dig ditches all over this valley. They had to dig some ditches. Now, remember, they are exhausted after a seven-day march. They're thirsty with nothing to drink. The temperature is in at least the 30s, if not the 40s, and they've got to dig the valley full of ditches. How appealing does that sound? Not very appealing at all. There's no sign of rain. There's no sign of water. It's a bit like when Noah got asked to build the ark when there was no cloud in the sky. But at least he probably had a drink or two. This is almost even worse. There's, they're, they're desperately exhausted. The Moabites have probably seen them coming and they're getting ready to attack them from uh, the other side of this valley. And the soldiers must have thought this is the craziest idea ever. But they were desperate enough to do it. They were desperate enough for water that they were prepared to dig these ditches that Elisha spoke of in those conditions. Have you ever dug a ditch? Oh, I have some people who've dug a ditch. Where's Paul Corelius? Paul, if I asked you, do not do this, but if I asked you to dig a 25-foot trench in my garden, what would you charge me and how long would it take you? A lot of money. And how long would it take you? A long time. Oh, for goodness. Someone needs to help him with his estimations. <laughs> Next time you ask Paul to do something for you, and he says it'll cost you a lot of money and take a long time, remember this day. <laughs> well, I have done some research. <laughs> and here's what it would take you. To dig, for someone to dig a 25-foot trench in your garden, it would cost you about 300 pounds, and it would take, write that down, (laughs) and it would take them three and a half hours if they had a mini excavator at their disposal. I looked it up. I'm probably going to get billions of emails offering to dig up our garden this week, aren't I? (laughs) But never mind. Listen, these guys didn't have a digger. And maybe they didn't even bring that many spades. Where's my spade? I have a spade. A shovel. Who knows? But they had to get digging. Where's my spade? Okay, hands up. Who thinks I should send Paul out into the car park (laughs) and see how far he can get by one (laughs) o'clock? Oh, Paul, I'm sorry. (laughs) Mm, Maybe, maybe. All right. I'm going to put it here, just so you can remember what we're talking about. 
listen, they didn't have even a spade. I don't know what they had to dig this ditch, but they had to start digging. And the ground was probably rock solid because it had been so dry. And it was hard, challenging work. And it was hot, hot, hot Dubai, Edinburgh, (laughs) China. (laughs) Hotter than all of those. Hot. And they were so thirsty already. They would have gotten even more desperate for a drink by the time they had dug ditches all through that valley. And it tells us that uh, the victory doesn't start to come until the next morning when they offered the sacrifice. So they were probably digging all night, not just in the day. It says this, uh, in the morning at the time of the sacrifice, the water began to flow from Edom. So they have really put their backs into it and they've been digging all night to fill this valley full of ditches and it didn't rain god could have sent rain clive told this story on friday night at the vision night when we were in bogota this year it hadn't rained for four months three months it hadn't rained apart from small showers for three months everything was tinder dry and i told everyone oh it's it's about like it is in may here and it was boiling hot you know it was really hot this year and uh, while we were there a forest fire started up in the mountains and it was really raging out of control they had to evacuate the center of town because it was so filled with smoke and uh, they were ferrying helicopters over we could see them from where we were in this training session they were ferrying helicopters over with sort of great buckets of water to drop on this uh, forest fire and they were not getting it under control so Pastor Cesar goes up there because he's um, building a house up in that area. So he went up to check and see if that was still sort of vaguely happening um, or if it had been burnt down. And when he got there, he spoke to somebody there and, and they said to him, well, why don't you pray when they heard he was a pastor? So he prayed and he sort of sp- spoke over the situation and called down the rain. And within 15 minutes, there was the biggest deluge that you have ever seen. I mean, we, it, was like the, it was running in the streets, wasn't it? In, in Bogota, and that was the first rain for three months. So God can send rain when he wants to, but in this situation, the water flu- f- flowed, not flew. It f- What's the word? How do you flow? Flooded, thank you. The water flooded out of Edom down into this valley where they were so desperate for water. Now, suppose they had not dug those ditches. What would have happened? It wouldn't have stopped. God would still have done his bit, wouldn't he? God, I suspect, would still have sent that water. The water would have poured down and they would have had to have just scooped up whatever they could in their hands or their mugs or their bowls or whatever they could find at the time. They would have had to have scooped it up like that and got the best they could from it and then it would have just run into the ground or run away and there would have been no lasting benefit and certainly no swimming pool amount of water to feed all those animals. God did his bit but they had to do their bit or it would have just been a temporary fix without any long-term provision but because they dug the ditches in faith even when it was difficult for them Even when the circumstances were really far from ideal for digging, they were able to contain 
the water, and it became a life source for them. It rescued them and saved the situation. So this is really important. God sovereignly sent the water, but they could have missed it. One of our children once put on a swimming costume one day when it was pouring with rain outside and went out in the rain to play and dance and sort of open their mouth and catch the rain. Who, who could that have been? I can't think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was you. Karis <laughs> is not here to deny all culpability, but it, the, the culprit is in the, in the room. And... Um, you know, hey, children should do that kind of thing, shouldn't they? Because it's really fun, and they should go out in their swimming costume in the rain and, and prance about. It's fun. But she didn't get a very good drink just opening her mouth under the rain, and you wouldn't have got much water just trying to scoop it up in that situation. You have to catch and hold the water. And you know this year, our theme for all the G12 conferences around the world is send your rain, manda to juvia, send your rain. But I want to tell you this, you can pray send your rain, but you better start digging some ditches. Amen? And it's too late to dig a ditch when the water starts flowing. You've got to dig the ditch ahead of time, even when the circumstances don't seem quite so ideal or so easy. Those guys didn't have a digger and a spade and all of that, but they had to get digging. How do we dig a a ditch in our lives that can contain the reign of God, a ditch that can fill with that water of the Spirit and be a source of life to us all year round, if you like, all the time? whether it's raining or it's dry or whatever, a water source that will still be there for us even when the conditions around us are dry and difficult. Well, I want to make three suggestions of how to dig a ditch in your life this year, how we can dig that ditch in our lives so that we can call out to God to send the rain and then be ready to catch it and for it to be that sustaining source in our life. Would you like that? Amen. Well, here's the first thing that you need to do. Dig a ditch of devotions. Say to the person next to you, dig a ditch of devotions. Now, when I was young, it was kind of the thing then. We we used to call this quiet times. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because that will age some of us in the uh, gathering, but some of us here will have been used to calling devotions quiet time. Some of us are used to calling it devotional time. It doesn't matter what you call it. It means time alone with God. That's what it means. It means time alone with God. It means time in your Bible. It means time in prayer. It means fasting in secret. And all those three things are actually lifestyle choices. You choose to do them or you choose not to do them. And the truth is we all have these 24 hours in our day that we make lifestyle choices about. And we wouldn't choose not to eat our dinner for several days at a time. And we wouldn't choose to go without 
literal water for several days at a time. And I, I want to encourage you, don't choose, because you do choose, don't choose not to get into the word of God, not to pray, not to fast, not to do those things that would dig those ditches in your life and enable God to put the rain into the ditches. So sometimes we think, oh, we just didn't quite get round to it. But actually, we choose not to get round to it by choosing to do other things, is the truth. Listen, I'm guilty too. I'm not standing here as somebody perfect. Please don't think that. But I am wanting to encourage you, dig a ditch of devotions in your life. Put that time in, and you will find that that will be a source of life for you in all sorts of circumstances. And every day you get a fresh opportunity to do this. So don't feel condemned. It doesn't matter what happened this week. Don't feel defeated. Today is a new day and tomorrow is another opportunity. Ask God to make you thirsty for more of the scripture, more of the Bible, more of prayer. Ask him to make you thirsty. But if you ask him that, he will. And the only way to quench that thirst is to actually get in to the scripture and dig those ditches in prayer and fasting and reading the word so that you've got that life source in your life when it is dry around you and circumstances are difficult. You won't dig the ditch in those difficult circumstances. That supply needs to be there in your life before then. Amen? So dig a ditch of devotions. Number two, and remember, I did say, didn't I, you can't dig a ditch last minute. I told you that in the passage. You can't dig that ditch last minute. It takes a bit of time and effort. Number two, dig a ditch of discipleship. I made you say the first one, so you better say the second one. Say to the person next, you dig a ditch of discipleship. Now, digging a ditch of devotions is something that largely you do on your own. That's something you've got to do for yourself on your own. But a ditch of discipleship is something we all need a bit of help with. We don't do that just on our own. We can't do it to ourselves. And the good news is that Christ has put all sorts of ministries in the body of Christ, in the family of the church, to help us, to help us and encourage us to grow and mature and be more like Jesus. That's what we're all supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be changing more and more, being transformed more and more into that uh, glory, into that likeness of Jesus. So dig a ditch of discipleship. Push in. If you look at the disciples in the Bible, if you're not quite sure what it looks like to be a disciple, read the Gospels and see what they did. They pushed in. They asked Jesus questions all the time. They were asking Jesus questions and asking him to explain things to them. And they were with him, and they spent time with him. Push in. Be vulnerable with your cell leader. Talk to them about what's going in your life. Take every opportunity to invest in your spiritual life. That means you've got to commit to the lifestyle of a disciple. Commit to the lifestyle of a disciple. Disciples get involved. Disciples follow. Disciples make sacrifices in serving 
in fellowship. We've got an opportunity to make a sacrifice in serving this morning. We've uh, given you those pieces of paper. Andrew's going to stand at the door at the end and take them from you if you're not sure what to do with them. But listen, when we do things like that, we are being disciples. We're working together for the kingdom of God's sake. So be sacrificial in serving, in fellowship, in giving, in worship, get engaged in the worship, in relationships, in your time, in all these things. Make that commitment to be a disciple. Dig that ditch of discipleship in your life. Don't just come and sit on a Sunday. We love to have you here. If you want to just come and sit on a Sunday, do you know what you can do? And we love that. And God bless you. But if you really want to dig a ditch in your life that will contain this water long-term, dig a ditch of discipleship and make that commitment. And the third thing that I want to finish with is this. Dig a ditch of dedication. You've got to say it. Dedication is what you do and keep on doing. It's consistent action. It's not just a one-off when you feel like it. It's when the ground is hard and dry and you don't feel like it. It's keeping going. It's an attitude, actually. It's about persevering. It's about hard work. It's about pursuing a vision and pushing forward in faith, even if you can't see it yet. It's about being committed to a cause. It's about being part of the solution and not part of the problem. Bob Mumford used to say um, years ago, Bob Mumford is an American pastor who used to pastor Barney Coombs, and he would say, maturity is when you put in more than you take out. You put in more than you take out. And, you know, you realize you reach maturity when you're a parent, don't you? You do a lot of putting in more than you take out when you're a parent. But maturity for us as Christians is when we put in more than we take out. And that's a ditch of dedication. Raising up other disciples, not just feeding ourselves and being content ourselves, but feeding others and raising them up, even when you're tired and thirsty and you can't see anything changing. Get digging. Get digging in faith. So this year, this is my message to me, and if you've been uh, happy to listen to it and join in, then I hope it's a message to all of you too, but it's certainly to me. I want to say this, expect to conquer. Expect to conquer. They didn't set out expecting to be defeated. They set out expecting to conquer the king of Moab. Don't take no for an answer. Don't turn back when you get to a dry wadi or a dry patch where there's no stream. Don't complain there's no water. Cry out to God, send your rain, and get digging. Dig a ditch in faith. Let's make this a year to make some channels and ditches in our lives. Amen? Amen. That's, that's the end, by the way.